Thank you very much. Um, it's quoted in the name of the Chazanish that after 1948 he said that this is the end of the Gomas, but we haven't yet reached the Gomas. So people thought that that was uh, double talk. The Gomas is over, so we should be in the middle of the Gula. So I'd like to explain a little bit what the terminology is referring to. Uh, many of you may be aware of the fact that Rav Kuk, who was the first chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, passed away years before Hakamas Hamadina, uh, was fond of saying that the Balfour Declaration was Aschal to the Gula. When the British government declared that they're going to give over the League of Nations, declared they're going to give over Palestine to the Jewish people, so this was uh, leading to the Gula. So many Hungarian rabbonim were attacking Rabbi Cook. Where did you get this idea from Aschal to the Gula? Either you have Gula or you don't have Gula. Who says there's such a thing as the beginning of the Gula? So truth of the matter, this expression appears in the Talmud uh, and it appears in the Zohar many times. We have to know exactly what is Gula referring to. And once we'll know what Gula is, then we'll know what Aschal to the Gula is. Many other rabbonim, forget about Rav Cook, he was a big Zionist. Many other Rabbanim said that the fact that we experience now, recent years, Kibbutz Goli, so many Jews returning back to Eretz Yisrael from all over the world, the Ramam says that this is going to be Bachar Sayyamim. We read in the Chumash, we read in Tarah, when the Jews return back to Eretz Yisrael, that's the beginning of the end. They're holding by the, the Bachar Sayyamim already. And <coughs> Rav Kook and others used to point out the passage in the Talmud, the Gemara quotes a passage from Novi, where the Novi says, Hari Yisrael, the mountains of Eretz Yisrael, when they will, branches will grow, the, the, everything will be green, and Paris will grow on the trees for the Jewish people. This is This is the Snow that holding by the Achrisayamim already. This is the famous passage that we're going to read before Shavuos. The Gemara says, Ezra made ten different takonis, and one of the takonis was that we should read the Torah. And Mechukaisai, uh, before Shavuos, we usually read it the second Shabbos before Shavuos. In the Torah, we read, HaKadosh Baruch will punish the Jewish people for not observing Shemitah. Every seventh year is a sabbatical year, we're not supposed to plant. So the Jews were punished for not observing Shemitah. We will be sent out of Eretz Yisrael. The land will be desolate. And the enemies will take over Eretz Yisrael. The land will be desolate under their control. That's what happened for almost 2,000 years. Nothing grew in Eretz Yisrael. It was Shmama. So Rashi quotes from the rabbis, this is a blessing to the Jewish people. The whole time that Eretz Yisrael was not under Jewish control, the whole land was Shmama. Nothing was growing. When the Jews took over, that's why it's called the Green Line. Everything was growing. Everything was green. That's exactly what the Pesach says in Navi. Hari Yisrael. The Navi speaks to the mountains of Eretz Yisrael. When the branches will grow and the Paris will grow for the Jewish people, that's the same. This is the same that we're holding by the end. Why did Rav Kook think that uh, that the Balfour Declaration and the uh, position of the League of Nations to give Palestine to the Jewish people? Why do you think that that was considered as Chafel the Gula, the beginning of the Gula? So we have to know what's the definition of Gula. The Ramban writes in his introduction to his commentary on Chumash Shmos that the book of Shmos uh, tells us about the first Golas that the Jewish people experienced when they were in Egypt, Golas Mitzrayim, and the Gula therefrom. 
Then the Ramban raises the question, what do you mean? But the Gula is only when the Jews returned back to Eretz Yisrael, and Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't allowed to enter Eretz Yisrael. So even when you get to the end of the Hamishu Chumshetar, you still haven't experienced the Gula. The Gula begins in the days of Yeshua Ben-Nun. So how can he claim, how can the Ramban claim that the Sefer Shmos has the whole story of the first Golos, the Golos Mitzrayim and the Gula they're from? So the Ramban says, no, the Gula is when you build the Beis Hamikdash. When they built the Mishkan, they were still traveling in the desert. In the beginning of the 40 years of traveling in the Midbar, they built the Mishkan. And the fourth sentence at the end of Chumash Mos, Trumatitzaba, by Yaakov Pikuri, have repeating and repeating and repeating all the details of the building of the Mishkan. That is the Gula. You can be living in Eretz Yisrael like today. You're not in Golas, but there's no Gula. You can be living in the Midbar. You're not living in Eretz Yisrael, there is Gula. Rabban explains why, because it is a tragedy to leave Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov didn't want to leave when they told him that his son Yosef was the prime minister in Egypt. He didn't want to leave. We say in the Haggadah that the Yaakov went to Mitzrayim almost al piyadibra. Kodesh told him he must go. He didn't want to go to Chutzlart. So that was a tragedy to leave Eretz Yisrael. But the main tragedy was not so much the fact that he was leaving Eretz Yisrael. The main tragedy was that they were missing Soda Laka Aleha Halehem. The Ramban paraphrases the Pasik in Sefer Eov that during the days of Abraham, Yitzchok, and Yaakov, there was a Hashuas Hashchina. The Pasik says in Chomish Bereshit several times, Vayal Meola Belakim. Kodesh Baruch appeared to Avram, to Yitzchok, and to Yaakov, and after the conversation was over, so the Shechina went away. So Vayal Meola Belakim. So Rashi quotes from the Midrashim. The Ovis had Ashuas Hashchina. Like the Novi Yechesko described HaKadosh Baruch Hu going in a, in a chariot with Malachim and Son. So the Ovis had Ashuas Hashchina. The Ovis of Romitz and Yankev were the Merkava for the Shechina. So the Ramban says it was a tragedy that Yankev and his family had to leave Eretz Yisrael. But the main tragedy was that when they left Eretz Yisrael, they no longer had this degree of Ashuas Hashchina. When they built the Mishkan in the Midbar, they had another 40 years, another 39 years left to go back to Eretz Yisrael. But that was already the Gula. The Gula means when you restored back to the Soda Laka Alei Halei, when you have the Hashuas Hashchina in the Mishkan, that's considered the Gula. So the Rav Kook is referring to a statement in the Gemara, but the Gemara says that there are. Three mitzvahs that have to be fulfilled in a specific order. The first mitzvah is to establish a Jewish government in all of Eretz Yisrael. The second mitzvah is this Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael has to put up, has to have an army. Every country has to have an army to protect itself, to protect its citizens. So the second mitzvah in order is to wipe out Amalek. And the third mitzvah after wiping out Amalek is to build the base Amigdash, build the base Abchirim. It'll be peaceful in Eretz Yisrael. There won't be any enemies attacking. It means there won't be Amalek. It'll be peaceful. Then we have a mitzvah to build the base on English. So these three mitzvahs, and the Raman quotes this statement from the Gemara. There were those who thought incorrectly that the Ramban is the first one who, uh, who determined that establishing a government, a Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah in the 613 mitzvahs. This was a mistaken reading of the Ramban. The Ramam says the same thing. Everyone agrees that uh, the Gemara says that there are three mitzvahs have to be fulfilled in this specific order. And the first mitzvah is to establish a Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael. But the Gemara tells us that establishing a Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael is going to lead to mitzvah number two, wiping out Amalek. And that in turn leads to mitzvah number three, to build a base up here, to build a base on Mikdash. 
So the actual building of the Beis Hamikdash is considered the Geula. Whatever is going to lead to the building of the Beis Hamikdash is by definition Aschal to the Geula. That's on its way, leading to the building of the Beis Hamikdash. Does one have to be a Navi? Do you have to have a Racha Kodesh? To be able to determine in advance that any particular Rav Kook was not a Navi, he didn't claim to have Ruach HaKodesh. Who told him that the Balfour Declaration is going to lead towards Binyam Beis Hamikdash? Maybe it won't. So we see in the Paschim, in the classical Paschim, you don't have to have Ruach HaKodesh. The Chassam Seifer didn't claim to have Ruach HaKodesh. The Chassam Seifer lived in Presburg in Hungary for a period of time, the last years of his life. And he went through uh, the Prussian-Austrian war, some kind of a war over there, and he writes in his diary about the war, and he writes halacha lamais, he passed in a certain shayla based on his, his assumption that all wars in the world are ashaltad de Gula. And the same was the Mincha Saluza, the Mincacher, lived through the First World War, he didn't live long enough to see the Second World War, he lived through the First World War, and he quotes from the Chassam Seifer in his diary, the diary of the Chassam Seifer is published, it's available, uh, he quotes that just like the Hassan Seifer thought that all wars in the world were Aschalta de Gula, so the Munkacher thought that the First World War was also Aschalta de Gula. He passed as a Shaila based on that. Truth of the matter is that the Gemara makes a statement, Melchamas are Aschalta de Gula, but Rashi does not learn like the Hassan Seifer that every single war in the world is Aschalta de Gula. Rashi comments on the, Pasha, on the Gemara, Pasha Pshat is. A war in Eretz Yisrael to determine who's going to be the Balabas over Eretz Yisrael and the Jews win the war. We establish a Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael. That's an Aschalta de Gula. Not the First World War. And not the, not the Second World War. And not the Prussian-Austrian War. But the, the, what Rashi says is Pashib Shad. The Chassam Sofer would certainly agree that all the wars in Eretz Yisrael, he claimed that all the wars in Europe are Aschalta de Gula. We don't see why. But what Rashi said is certainly Pashib Shad. If you have a war in Eretz Yisrael and the Jewish people win the war, that's considered an Aschalta de Gula. It's interesting, the Chassam Seifer didn't feel that he had Ruach HaKadosh and the Munkachi didn't feel he had Ruach HaKadosh. They just took the Gemara Kipshuto. If something looks like it historically, it's going to lead up towards the building of the Beis Amigdosh. So you assume that that's Aschalta de Gula. Um, the Nesivas has a commentary on the Gilas Esther. Nesivas is one of the great uh, Gaonim who lived in the early 1800s. So in his commentary on Megillus Esther, he refers to a certain kasha um, that the Shagasari asks, many others discuss it. The Gemara tells us the Chachamim only have the right to introduce additional Yamim Tehim over and above Pesach Shuvah Sikas, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. They only have a right to introduce additional Yamim Tehim if the Yontet has something to do with the Beis Hamikdash. If you protected the Beis Hamikdash from destruction, or protected the Beis Hamikdash from defilement, or someone donated the major donation for the Beis Hamikdash, or you straightened out the institutions of the Beis Hamikdash, the Kohanim were not bringing the Karbonas properly, and you straightened out the Hakrabas Karbonas, or you straightened out the institution of the Kuhuna Gedoyla, the high priesthood, or the institution of the Sanhedrin, which has to meet in the Beis Hamikdash. So whenever something important <coughs> occurs in connection with the Beis Hamikdash, so there's a mitzvah to celebrate, and it's not a violation of Baltaisif, we only have 613 mitzvahs, so you're not supposed to add on additional mitzvahs. So if you add on a yontif that has nothing to do with Beis Hamikdash, that's an issue of Baltaisif. The Chassam Sefer writes in one of his tshuvas that he heard that in Eretz Yisrael, in Meiron and Lagvaim, where they celebrate by having... Uh, uh, they give the young children haircuts, halakha, for the children at the, when they reach the age of three, and they have bonfires, and they sing, and they dance, and so on, and he doesn't write it, but in Crown Heights they have parades and so on. The Hassam Sefer is opposed to this. He says he thinks it's 
celebration of Lagbaim is a violation of Altesis. Lagbaim has nothing to do with the Beis Amikdush. But to celebrate on the occasion of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, that looks like the Derech HaTav is going to lead up to the building of the Beis Amikdush. When you establish a Medina, that's the first mitzvah. Then the next mitzvah is to wipe it Amalek. Then the third mitzvah is to build the Beis Amikdush. One leads up to the other. So that's considered Aschalta de Gula. So the Nesivus again in his commentary on the Megillah Sesta poses the question, according to the tradition of the Talmud, the story of Purim occurred during the 70 years of Golos Bavol. There was no first Beis Amikdush, there was no second Beis Amikdush, it was in between. It had nothing to do with any Beis Amikdush of what right did the rabbis have to institute a Yontas if the Gemara seems to imply that that's a violation of Baltasar, you're not allowed to introduce a Yontas if it has nothing to do with the Beis Amikdush. So the Nesivus explains that the Chachomim in that generation felt that the fact that Esther, Esther, a nice religious Jewish girl, had to live with a guy. We read the Megillah in an hour, and we think uh, that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story was, and they lived happily ever after. Esther had to live with the non-Jewish king, and, and they had children together, and the children were Jewish, halachically, they were Jewish, but they were given no Jewish education whatsoever. So what kind of an askal to the Gula? So the Chachamim felt, despite the fact that everything was so far goyish, the nice religious Jewish girl had to live with the goyish king, they felt the fact that she has a foot in the government office, she was the queen, this is probably going to lead, maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, but they thought it's probably going to lead towards the building of the second base on Migdash, so they felt that they're permitted to establish the Yantam of Purim. Purim was established al Shem Ha'asid. It was considered an Aschal to the Gula. There was no Beis Amikdush. They thought this would lead towards the building of the second Beis Amikdush. The Nesivis in his commentary on the Megillah Sester thinks that they made a mistake. He thinks that initially they thought it's going to lead to the building of the Beis Amikdush and they established a full-blown Yantaf of Purim. And Eddie Morris says they diminished the observance of Yantaf Purim. They chipped away certain, uh, some of the Dinam of Purim because they realized they made a mistake, it didn't lead to the building of the Beis Amikdush. So obviously, if he thinks that they made a mistake and they had to chip away, so they never had any Nuvu in the first place, they never had any Ruach HaKadosh in the first place. So what he's telling us is that if the Chachamim think that some historical event occurs and it looks like it's going to lead up to the building of the Beis Amikdush, it makes sense to establish a Yontif. Other commentaries disagree with the last part of the Nesivas. So Asenus and others disagree, they say, no, the Chachamim did not make a mistake. They thought it was going to lead to the building of the second Beis Amikdush, and most assumed that it did lead to the building. It wasn't a mistake. But the Nesivas is telling us clearly that you don't have to have Rahak Kodesh to determine that Hassam Seifer didn't think he had Rahak Kodesh. He thought that the Austro-Prussian war was an Aschalt of the Gula. The Munkacher didn't think he had Rahak Kodesh. He says, based on the simple reading of the Gemara, that the First World War was an Aschalt of the Gula. And you can pass on accordingly. When you have halachas that depend on Aschalta the Gula, you can't say you need to consult a Novi. How are we going to have a Novi in every generation? It's interesting, there is a Sefer that was written by one of the, some of the students of the Vilna Gohan. It's called Kol Hator. Uh, the Talmud speaks in one place about the fact that before Mashiach comes, it's going to be a Mashiach ben Yosef. The Mashiach we speak about is a descendant of David Amela, that's Mashiach ben David. So the Gemara speaks about another concept, Mashiach ben Yosef. The Gemara doesn't say too much about it, it's only a few lines in the Gemara. The Zohar has a lot to say about Mashiach ben Yosef, and the Vilna Goyen elaborated a lot on this topic with his students, and he told his Talmudim if he would have been brought into this world just to be Mavarer, just to ascertain what he came up with, his ideas on the concept 
on the topic of Mashiach and Yosef, he thinks that would have been enough. Even if he wouldn't have been Mechadish anything else, and he would not have written his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, he thought that his major contribution for coming into the world was what he had to say about Mashiach and Yosef. So that Sefer, that was written way before. But only God lived in, uh, he died in the late 1700s. So the students of the Vilna <coughs> Gaon quote there, based on the from the Vilna Gaon, that there are three dates that are going to be crucial, major historical events are going to occur, and these three dates are going to be leading up to the coming of Mashiach. One date is Heir, one date is Vavir, and one date is Chav Chesir. Interesting, Chav Chesir is in Yerushalayim. You may not remember the original Heir in 1948 was on Friday. And the British mandate was up at midnight on Friday night. And some of the people who signed the declaration of the Medina, establishment of the Medina, some of them were Jamri Shabbos. So they said, we can't sign on Leil Shabbos, we can't declare a Medina. So they declared illegally, if the British mandate was still there till uh, midnight. So they declared illegally, they declared the Medina on Heyer. It really should have been on Govier, but because of the Chilu Shabbos issue, so they declared it on Heyer. So there were people who remember Abiyanke Moshe Chalap was dancing in the streets at that time. He said, now he understands what it says in the Sefer Kol Hatar, that Heir and Vavir are going to be two important days that are going to lead towards the coming of Mashiach because the establishment of the Medina should have been on Vavir, on Shabbos, after midnight on Friday night, but they established it on Friday on Heir. He doesn't know what the Chav Chasir is. That occurred later after he passed away. Yom Yerushalayim, Rabbi Chalap didn't live so long to experience that. It's interesting also, it says in the Shulchan Aruch that in Aseris and Meitshuva, it's the season of Yom and right? so we should be careful um, how we act, we should be careful all year long, we should be especially careful during the period of Yom and right? So it says if a person has a Dintaira, and the Bezim says that someone should swear, they shouldn't administer the oath during Aseris and Meitshuva, because if a person swears falsely, that's a terrible Avera, so let him not swear in Aseris Meitshuva, let him swear after Yom Kippur is over. That's too serious. It's Yom Neh, right? Don't be Mashbia anybody. Then it says also in Shulchan if someone did some Avera and the Bezin feels we have to put the man in Cherem, don't put somebody in Cherem during Aseris Meitshuva. It's too serious the season of the year. That's what it says in Shulchan Aruch. Aseris Meitshuva is Yom Neh, right? So the later Kabbalah Swarim write a list of additional days which are serious dates, which are Yom Neh, right? And one should act accordingly, not to be Mashbia, and not put anybody in Cherem. So they don't, the Swarim writes, we don't know what these days are supposed to correspond to. They give a list of days. The second date on the list is Heir. doesn't say Bavir, doesn't say Chavchesir, it just lists Heir. So apparently these dates were set aside, these dates were de- de- designated a special day, Heir, Bavir, and Chavchesir were designated before the incidents happened. It's interesting, there were so many people who were, have this bug in their head that there's something wrong with Medina's Israel. People fall for the line of the Turekartanikis. So there are so many who, uh, who question the validity of the Medina. So they think there was a Rabbi Mendel Kasha, the one who published the Torah Shleimah. So years after Hakam Medina, he reprinted the Sefer Kol Hatar. He published a big fat book, Hatkufa about the period in history that we're living through now. And uh, included in that big book of his that he wrote, he included this whole book called Atar, which is by a student of the Vilna Gaon. So there were those who claimed Rabbi Mendel Kasha forged the whole book after Hakam Samadina and after Yom Yerushalayim, then he put everything in. It's absolutely not true. There are people who are alive today who remember this Sefer was in print before Hakam Samadina, before Heir. 
And the Sefer was certainly in print, Kolata was in print before Chav Chesir, before Yom Yimshah. These days were set aside by the Mukubalim uh, years ago as special days. How do we know, the question is, how do we know that the true, the first mitzvah in order is to establish the Jew, Jewish government over all of Eretz Israel? The next, next mitzvah is to wipe out this army that the Jewish people have. Has to wipe out Amalek, whoever they happen to be. And the third mitzvah will be to build a base on English. Who says that this Hakamas Amenida that was established in 1948 is going to lead towards the building of the base on English? Maybe someone can imagine Chas Visholim that the whole Medina will collapse. We'll have to start all over again. We'll have to establish another Medina. That Medina will be Chalta Begul. There's up that this Medina is going to be. That's a famous comment about Herzog, the second chief rabbi. Made. He was fond of quoting this from the Midrashim and from the Ramban, especially it's known from the Ramban, more so than from the Midrashim. The Ramban writes in his Sefer HaGulullah that we read in Tanakh and we read from the Talmud interpreting the Pesukim in Tanakh there will only be two Harbanas, there will not be a third Churban. So what is the Ramban referring to? There will only be twice Churban based on Migdush, there won't be a third destruction of the based on Migdush. No. The Ramban says it's based on the fact that we have two Teichachas. We have a Teichach and Mechukaisai that we read before Shavuos, and we have the Teichach and Kisavai. Ezra made a Takana, we should lay the Teichach and Kisavai soon before Rosh Hashanah. So the Psukim and Novi seem to indicate that the two Teichachas correspond to the two Chorbanas, and there won't be a third Chorban. The second Teichach in Kisavai does mention a word about the destruction of the Beis Amikdash. And the Ramban explains why. Because the second base Amikdosh was missing so much of the luster and the beauty and the, and the Hashwas, Hashkina of the first base Amikdosh, even while it was standing, it was considered the Shvach. So the Psukim and Parshas Kisova never mentioned a word about Churban base Amikdosh. And the first Teich of Hamukhakos I will destroy the base Amikdosh. Second Teich only speaks about Churban Hamadina, doesn't speak a word about Churban base Amikdosh, because even while it was, left, even while it was standing, it was Shvach Amaisis. So the Ramban is interpreting explicitly, the Ramban and the Sefer Agud is interpreting the Psukim as implying there will only be twice Churban Hamadina, there won't be a third Churban Hamadina, not there won't be a third Churban based on English. The question was, when they established a Medina in 1948, was this really a Medina? Bar Kochva also established a Medina, but in history it went down as a rebellion, the Bar Kochva rebellion against the Roman government, it didn't go down in history as a Medina. Bar Kochva thought that he was the king and he minted coins and so on, but it, Historically, it went down as an attempted rebellion against the Romans. Yeah. So the first year after 1948, maybe it was an attempt at establishing Medina. But over 60 years later, it's still just an attempt. If they're a member of the United Nations, and the first page of the New York Times, always tumbling about Medina, so everybody's talking, it's hard to say that this is just an attempt at establishing Medina. And the Medina was established already. So the posture says that we have a government in Herzog, Jewish government in Herzog, we have a Medina. And the uh, Ramban claims, we hope the Ramban is right, the Ramban thinks, based on the Psukim in Chumash and based on the Psukim in the Navi, that there won't be a third destruction of the Medina. So that's why we assume that this Medina is the Aschalt of the Gula, the establishment of the Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael in 1948 will lead to the fulfillment of the second and the third mitzvah, the third mitzvah being the Gula, namely the building of the Beis Amigdash. When we recite Shira Malas, we say, Yeshuba Hashem Meshiva Sion Hoyinu Kecholmen. Absolutely, once made a comment. When we'll come back to Eretz Yisrael, everything will be Hoyinu Kecholmen, exactly the way we were dreaming all along. The Jews were dreaming almost 2,000 years 
it's going to be a Beis Hamikdash, and it's going to be a Melacha Mashiach, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. We look in Eretz Yisrael today, it's a Nachnish. Netanyahu is a nice fellow, but it's Nachnish, it doesn't look like the Melacha Mashiach, none of these. This is not the way we were dreaming. So she said, not yet, not yet. It doesn't yet correspond to what we would uh, like the things to be. We would like everything to be Shuvah Shem should be Ayinah Kachom in the way we were dreaming all along. So I remember when Rav Salvechik's uncle passed away, Rav Elvila Salvechik. He was known as Briskerov. He was a rabbi in Brisk before the Second World War. His wife and family were killed by the Nazis. Some, some of his family was killed by the Nazis. So he, uh, when he passed away many years ago, uh, 40 years ago, so when he passed away, Rav, uh, Rav Salvechik delivered a husband in the yeshiva. So, in the middle of the Hesper, he made a comment that many viewed his uncle, Rabelvala, as anti-Zionist. So he said he wouldn't think that his uncle was anti-Zionist, because Rabelvala's daughter, he had a married daughter who was living in America, she was married to Michael Feinstein, uh, a nephew of Rabbi Feinstein. So they were living in America for a few years, and Rabelvala sent him a letter. He insists they have to come back to Eretz Yisrael this year. If they don't come back immediately, he's never going to talk to them again. He says, I never said that. Rabbi Zalajik never moved to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, he didn't insist his children have to live in Eretz Yisrael. So he said, my uncle insisted his children must live in Eretz Yisrael. His uncle had no parnasa. He in America, he had a job. He was teaching in yeshiva. He insisted they have to move to Eretz Yisrael. He thought that that's a very high level of being a Zionist. His uncle was a big Zionist. Why do people view Rabbi Zalajik as an anti-Zionist? So he said, no... His uncle was disappointed with the Medina. It doesn't correspond to what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be When we come back there, it's well, everything will be exactly as we were dreaming all the years. Well, we'll know what it says in the passages in Tanakh, what it says in the Rambam. What Eretz Yisrael, what the government in Eretz Yisrael is supposed to be like. It doesn't correspond to what it's supposed to be. So he was upset. He was disappointed that it didn't, love, it didn't live up to what it's supposed to be. So Rabbi said, he has confidence that the Torah will force itself on the Medina and things will develop the way they're supposed to develop. You look around in the world now, there's more learning in Eretz Yisrael than there ever was for centuries. And there's more learning, there's more shmiris amitzvahs all over the world because of the fact that we have in the Medina Yisrael. We have everybody sends their children to study in Eretz Yisrael. And this brought about a hashpo all over the world. True. The people running the government in Eretz Yisrael are not exactly uh, what we would have uh, wanted. The religious would have liked to see more religious people running the government. But that's not the Medina. It's Rav Soloveitchik. used to distinguish. We should, we should keep in mind that two different things. The Medina is one thing and the Memshalah is another thing. The Medina is the fact you have a Jewish government controlling an Eretz, Eretz Yisrael, so Yiddish and Medina. The Memshalah means the individuals, the people running the government, are not exactly what we would like to see. There's a famous incident that Rabbi Lau is fond of telling over. Before he was appointed chief rabbi, he was sent by Israeli bonds to America to tour the United States and try to encourage people to invest money in Israeli bonds. So he met Rabbi Neuberger, from Baltimore Yeshiva. I think he was in Detroit at the time. So Rabbi Neuberger was a brother-in-law of Rabbi Rudiman, who was the Rosh Yeshiva. Rabbi Neuberger ran the business of the Yeshiva rabbi, and Rabbi Rudiman was the Rosh Yeshiva learner. He was the theoretical Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Neuberger was the practical Rosh Hashiva. He made the whole campus, whoever knows, now you saw a beautiful, gigantic campus. So Rabbi Neuberger asked Rabbi Lau, would he be interested in meeting Rabbi Rudiman? So he said, certainly, so he's going to arrange it. So he arranged. So Rabbi Lau came to Rabbi 
Rudiman's home, right on the campus, right opposite the yeshiva. And uh, there was a young man speaking with Rabbi Rudiman, so Rabbi Lau had to wait his turn. So he overheard, Rabbi Lau overheard the following incident. The young man, he says, was the Musmach of Neri Yisrael. Now everybody knows who it was, Rabbi Moshe Heinemann, who was a prominent rabbi in Baltimore now. So he was a rabbi in the Aguda Shul in Baltimore. So someone donated a parochas, one of the survivors of the camps, concentration camps, donated a parochas for the shul, with a big mug and in the middle, and it said on the bottom that this was donated in memory of the Kedoshim who were killed in the war. Many of his relatives were killed and the one who donated the parochas. So some of the people in the shul were upset this was an Aguda Shul, how can you have a parochas in the shul with a mug and The mug and represents Medina Yisrael, and it was a trait from Medina. So this was the Shiloh that the young rabbi, Rabbi Lai didn't know who it was at that time, this was the Shiloh the young rabbi presented. That the Balabasa donated, it says it's in the memory of the Kedoshim, the Kedoshim, and the other one said, but it has the Mogandava, which represents the Medina, and he's screaming back about the Kedoshim, he's screaming back the Trey from Medina. So how is he supposed to navigate over here? So Rabbi Rudiman, Rabbi Lau over here, the way Rabbi Rudiman says, I seem to remember when I learned in Slavotke, the Orenkaidish had a Mogandava, the Parachas had a Mogandava. And there was a uh, candelabra hanging from the ceiling in the middle of the room that had a lot of candles on it, and it had Magadavids all over the place. What's wrong with the Magadavid? So the young rabbi explains, no, that was before the Medina, now it's after the Medina. Now the Magadavid represents Medina. He saw the Medina's trace. So he said, what's wrong with the Medina? So he said, well, Ben-Gurion is cutting off the payers from the religious uh, Sephardim who come to Eretz Zon and sends them to Kibbutz and makes the Mechal Shabbos and he's ruining all the Yiddish guys. So Rabbi Rudiman said, oh, you mean the Mem Shalah? Mem Shalah is terrible, but the Medina, there's nothing wrong. That's what Rabbi Salavetchik always used to say, the exact same thing. The Medina means the fact we have a Jewish Medina. And Eretzal, the fact that people running the government are unfortunately not exactly as religious as we would like them to be, so that's a problem with the Mem Shalah. But the Medina, per se, there's nothing wrong with that. Rabbi Salavetchik always used to say, and his talks for the Mizrahi, it's improper, it's prohibited for American Jews to have absolute allegiance to the Israeli government. Whatever they do, for many years, the Jews in America are not allowed to attack the Israeli government. Whatever they do, we have to, we have to back. He said, that's Avayda Zar. You're not allowed to back. The only one that we have absolute allegiance to is the Rabbani Shalom, based on what he wrote in Atur. If the Israeli government decides to force people to meet Mechal Shamas and to do Averis, you know, I have absolute allegiance to some other authority other than the Rabbani Shalom and other than the Turk. You have absolute allegiance to the Turk. The Mem Shalom Eretz Yisrael, unfortunately, is not exactly what we would like it to be. The Pesach in Kohelet speaks about Ashrei Heretz, Shemalkech Ben Chorin. It's the praises of the country whose king is a Ben Chorin. What do you mean a Ben Chorin? So the Zohar comments on the Pesach, Ashrich, it's the praises of Eretz Yisrael. The king of Eretz Yisrael officially is the Rabbanu Shalom, the one who gives freedom to mankind. HaKadosh Baruch gives freedom to the slaves, and Avedivri is Yotzeh Lecheres, when it comes to Yom Kippur of Yoifel, and so on. Officially, the Rabbanu Shalom is the king of Eretz Yisrael, and the human beings who are running the government in Eretz Yisrael are supposed to run it in accordance with the instructions of the Torah, in accordance with what the Rabbanu Shalom wants. The Psukim and Novi tell us that throughout all the generations, the Nochrim were always interested in wiping out the Jewish people, wiping out in two different senses, physically and spiritually. They tried to kill the Jews. 
They killed many Jews. The Nazis uh, succeeded in killing so many Jews. And they tried to convert the Jews, to wipe out the Jewish people spiritually. It's interesting to note what was the official response of the Catholic Church to the Zionist movement over a hundred years ago when it first started. So they published in their newspapers all over the world in many different languages, in Italian, in French, in Spanish, in English, in America, all over the world they published. It's never going to happen. The Medina will never come about. It's impossible. Because it's against their theology, it's against their belief. They declared, and they explained in their newspaper articles, Eretz Yisrael is the chosen land, Eretz Hanifcheres, for the Am Hanifcher, for the chosen nation. The Jewish people used to be the Am Hanifcher, but when we rejected Osa Huish, we rejected Jesus as, as uh, the Son of God, then the Jewish people, according to their belief, he lost their status as the Am Hanifcher. So the male, it's impossible, it's never going to happen, the Jews will never succeed in establishing a Medina in Eretz Yisrael. That's what they were writing for years and years and years. When the Medina was established, that the Catholic Church did not recognize the Medina for many years. Did not recognize the Medina for over 40 years. It was just recently, about 15 years ago, that um, the Vatican recognized the Medina. So the first few years they were hoping and praying that this Medina is going to disappear because it contradicted the whole position, the theological position for many years. The Medina did not disappear, so they had to develop a new terrorist. So the terrorist was the Jewish people only have the modern Israel. They don't have the real Eretan of Cheres. They don't have the Eratika. They don't have Hebron, the city where Abram Yitzchak and Yankee lived. That's impossible. But they were preaching for so many years their theological position that the Eretan of the Eretan of Cheres or the Amanifcha. It's never going to happen because the Jewish people rejected Jesus and so on. So what happened after Mohammed Sheish and Tayyip? When the Jewish people took over. The Eratika, Yerushalayim, they took over Hebron. So the very next day, the Pope declared, and ever since, every year, every Pope says the same thing, we have to internationalize the city of Yerushalayim. Why do we have to internationalize Yerushalayim? Because it's a contradiction to their theology. It's pressure because of their Abadizah. They claim it's impossible. We lost our status as the Yaman so we cannot possibly have the Eretan of Cheres. So that's why the Pope, to defend the, the Catholic theology, was preaching at that time, and every year they preach the same thing. We have to force the Jewish people to give up their rights to Yerushalayim. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, there was a period of time after Kibush Yerushalayim that the Catholic Church declared that they're going to relieve the Jews of the guilt of killing Yashkin. What does it mean that we're guilty for... Yoshkil was killed so many years ago. What does it have to do with us? And at the same time that they declared they're relieving the Jews of the guilt of killing Osa Huish, they declared simultaneously that they're going to pour in millions of dollars into missionary activities to see to it that the Jews convert. Rabzalvechik held a public talk at Columbia University in English, and he spoke in Yeshiva at that time in Yiddish, and the two drushes together said exactly this point. He said, if you read in between the lines, what does it mean? The Jews are responsible for killing of Jesus. It means we don't accept him as God. That's what it means, we're killing him. It doesn't mean that the Jews murdered him 2,000 years ago. It means that we continue to kill him by not believing in him. And the church said they're going to relieve the Jews of the guilt of killing Jesus. It means they're going to see to it that we're going to accept him. So they said, Turkey deeper. They said, we're going to step, step up missionary activities. They're pouring billions of dollars into missionary activities. They see to it that the Jews will accept. If we'll accept Yoshke, then we become back again the Yaman Okay? So then, then they can recognize Medina Sisra. 
it's a Medina Sisol under the Catholics. And it's interesting when the Catholic, when the, when the uh, Vatican finally did recognize Medina Sisol. So I remember the first page in the New York Times about 15 years ago when they wrote it up. So they said, in an appreciation for the fact that the Catholic Church recognized Medina Sisol, so Medina Sisol is permitting the Catholic Church to have more missionary activities in Eretz Yisrael. Of course, that's the, which is scandalous which is scandalous, but they wouldn't have agreed otherwise. They would never recognize the Dinesh itself. They wouldn't allow them to have more missionary activities. They can't. It's against their whole theology. They claim that uh, the Jews are not entitled to the Dinesh itself because we're no longer the Amman Ifkar. The Naturi character have this hang-up. We just had a demonstration. They always having demonstrations. Naturi character have this hang-up about the Shodosh Ruiz. There's a passage that's repeated three times in Shira Shirim something to the effect that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had the Jewish people take some kind of an oath or another. The Gemara interprets what the three oaths are that Pasuk appears three times. So one of them is that we won't force the issue of establishing a Jewish government in Eretz against the wish of the nations of the world. So the Terekarta, which is less, much less than 1% of the Orthodox Jews, it's a very tiny group of Mishagoyim, but they spend a lot of time in advertisement and they put the ads in the newspaper and make a lot of demonstrations that people think they are there. How big is this group and how many people they represent? They don't represent too many people at all. They have no Tamil Chachanim at all. They don't have any scholars, any Rabbanim who, who uh, agree with them Shigasim. So the Turikarta take this passage in the Gemara that the Jews are not permitted to establish a government in Eretz until Mashiach comes. It doesn't say that in the Gemara. And it's famous, one of the great Gaonim, the Yosameach, who was mentioned earlier tonight, Rabbi Neuberger mentioned the Yosameach, wrote a famous letter after the Balfour Declaration and after the League of Nations agreed that they would give Palestine to the Jewish people. So the Yosameach wrote a famous letter. Now that all the nations of the world agree that uh, they're going to give Palestine to the Jewish people, so we no longer have to be concerned about the Shalashwas or Pachat Hashwas. We don't have to be concerned any longer about the Shalosh Vuas. It's famous, the Munkacha didn't want to attend the Knesia, the Aguda. They used to have uh, big conventions in Europe and they got, every couple of years they had a Knesia Agudayma. They would have all the Rabbanim gathered together to discuss important issues that are relevant for the Jewish people. So the Munkacha did not attend the Knesia when they were talking about establishing the Medina and Eretzot because he knew they wouldn't give him the floor. They knew that none of the Rabbanim would agree with him, and they all disagreed. They were all talking in 1937, they were all talking at the Aguda Convention in Europe about the possibility of establishing a Medina in Eretz Yisrael, about the partition plan. The League of Nations were discussing dividing Palestine between the Jews and the Arabs. So no one was opposed. None of the Gedolim at the Knesset were opposed to establishing Medina. The only Machlechus they had was that the Jews committed to sign a partition plan where they're agreeing that half of Palestine is being given to the Arabs. So half of the Rabbanim said, how can you start to give half of Palestine to the Arabs? You're not allowed to. You can't give away Palestine. You can't give away part of Eretzot to the Arabs. The other Rabbanim said, what do you mean? We don't have anything yet. The British have control over everything. They're giving us half of Eretzot, so we're signing that we're agreeing to take that half. They're giving the other half to the Arabs. We're not giving. The British are giving it to the Arabs. And we'll see in the future. We'll get the other half. That was the only Machlechus they had. Is it permissible for the Jews to agree to a partition plan? Maybe that means that we're, it's considered as if we're giving away half of Palestine to the Arabs. But uh, to establish a Medina, none of the Gedolim agreed with the Munkacha. They all know it was permissible to establish a Medina. The stipler, 
After he passed away, they published a collection of letters. Takla was the brother-in-law of the Hazanish. So after he passed away, they published a collection of his letters. And one of the letters he writes, he thinks that it was improper to establish the Medina. He thought that it was against the Shalash Rus. But he says, once you have a Medina, you're not allowed to give it away to the Arabs. That's utterly ridiculous, he says. The position of the Turek Arta, utterly ridiculous. Once you have it, you're not allowed to give it away. People don't understand. There was a a big misunderstanding. How can it be that the people from Merkaz Arav, those who follow Rav Kook, say you're not allowed to give one inch of Eretz all the way to the Arabs. And when it comes to Shemitah years, they sell all of the land to the Arabs. And how can it be that the Satmar who say you're not allowed to have Eretz still, we have to give it back to the Arabs. But the Rav Shemitah say you're not allowed to sell it to the Arabs. Each one is contradicting his own position. So the answer is the two definitions. There's no contradiction in the Satmar position. It doesn't make any sense. There's no contradiction. There's no contradiction in America's Rav Cook's position either. The two definitions. Who should have the sovereignty over Eretz Yisrael? So Merkaz Arab says, the Jews have the sovereignty. You're not allowed to give away sovereignty to the Arabs. You're not allowed to give away one inch of land that should be under the sovereignty of another nation. should be under the Jews. But the ownership of Eretz Yisrael, that's a different thing. So the Etimahir, they're selling ownership of the farms to the Arabs. There are those who think that if you sell the land to the Arabs, the laws of Shemitah would be a little more lenient. You would have certain kudos. But they're two different things. The fact that we have the Jewish Medina in Eretz Yisrael is certainly an askal to the Gula. Rav Kook thought that the Balfour Declaration was askal to the Gula. The fact that you have a Medina, and it's not an attempt at establishing a Medina. The Medina is there over 60 years. Of course it's a Jewish Medina. I know it's a Jewish Medina. I, but the government is not so religious. Yes, Russia. Yes, all the countries in the Middle East. Of course it's a Jewish Medina. The international perception is why is everybody against Eretz Yisrael? Because it's a Jewish Medina. If it wouldn't be a Jewish Medina, they wouldn't have so much opposition to it. It's clearly a Jewish Medina. And everyone agrees it's a mitzvah for the Jewish people to establish a Medina in Eretz Yisrael. It's not the discovery of the Rambam. Those who misunderstood the Rambam, the Rambam writes the same thing. The Rambam wrote it's a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael. The Rambam failed to count that as a mitzvah, to live in Eretz Yisrael. But to establish a Medina, the Rambam also wrote that as one of the 613 mitzvahs. We certainly have what to celebrate. We live in unusual times. Major changes. Rabbi Newberger was talking about changes in Lima Torah. Major changes. Kibbutz Goliath. Everything is growing in Eretz Yisrael. In Gush Katif, when the Jews were controlled, things were growing. When, when the foolish government gave it away to the Arabs, nothing grows there. Nothing grows in Gush Katif now. Kozman was under the Jewish control. It was flourishing. Paris were growing. Exactly what it says in Parshas Bechakaisai. When the Goyim are in charge, nothing grows. When the Jews are in charge, so things grow. That's what the Talmud says at that Pasuk in Navi. The branches will grow on the trees and the Paris will grow for the Jewish people. This is the symbol that we're holding by the end. We should all prepare for the coming of Mashiach, we should all be zeichet during our lifetime, we should zeichet to see the coming of the Mashiach, and the building of the Beis Hamikdash, from here we are